read a quote from a lady named Christine Kane. I don't know if it was her original quote, but she posted it on um, her Instagram. And uh, I read it and was so inspired that I, I want to preach a little, bit ba- uh, a little bit based on what she, she wrote. And so I'm titling this message uh, tonight, Shaking Off the Victim's Curse. Come on, shaking off the victim's curse. Now, can anybody here do like this with their hand? Come on. Come on, not like you're a pansy, all right? Come on, shake it off, right? Do both of your hands. That'll get you active for a moment. I'm going to teach you tonight how to shake off the victim's curse. That's a fancy way or or a funny way of saying, I want to teach you tonight to no longer be a victim. Only some of you think that's important. See, let me tell you something. When you're a victim, you get temporary pleasure from folks feeling bad for you. But at the end of the day, you're still miserable. Come on, it's a short-term, it's a short-term position in your life. But when we learn to overcome, to become a victor, to, to operate and be an overcomer in our life and to no longer be a victim, then we can really see the fullness of God, the, the fullness of his destiny and purpose in our life come to fruition. You can step out of being a victim in your life. Now, I wrote this down, and I, I, this is original, unless God gave this to somebody else. But I, I, I think this paints the perfect picture of why I'm preaching this tonight. Let me find it. I put it at the end, but I'm going to do it in the beginning. The process of becoming a victim was not your fault. I want to start there for a moment. The process of you becoming a victim was not your fault. Thus, the idea or the term of victim. In other words, whatever was done to you, whatever was perpetrated against you, whether as a child, whether as an adult, by a loved one, by someone you didn't know, by a boss, whatever it is, whatever that was done to you was not your fault. So the process of becoming a victim was not your fault. Let me finish this statement, though. The process of staying a victim is your fault. I'm just going to say this 300 times, then we're going to go home. The process of becoming a victim is not your fault. But the process of staying a victim is 100% your fault. In other words, the position that you've been put in in your life... The fact that you were victimized is is never your fault. You know, some folks have gone through terrible things in their life, seen loved ones go through terrible things. Folks in this room walk through, you know, molestation. There's people in this room that have, in confidence, told me before that they had a a mom that, that raped them, a father that raped a daughter over and over and over again. There's people that have endured great things that 100% you did not bring on your life. You are not a victim because you did something to deserve being treated that way. You are a victim because somebody who had issues or was sick or who was evil or who had their own mess in their own life decided, I'm going to take advantage. I'm going to do this person wrong. So that process learning that that process is not something you brought on yourself is the first step, right? We have to realize that we didn't do this to ourselves. Even if mom said, well, you shouldn't have worn that skirt or you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that, it's not your fault. What what some of us have endured should have never happened to us. 
It's not okay under any circumstances. It's important to understand that. Past that point, whether you stay a victim is up to you. See, somebody can victimize you, but they can't keep you a victim. Do you hear me tonight? I know this is a deep subject, so I want to be very careful how we tread through this because I have great compassion for, for whatever you've gone through. My wife has gone through very difficult things in her life, and I've had uh, an opportunity to see how that's walked out and, and the devastation, the things that she's had to deal with has been just tremendous, and and it's terrible what people endure. I mean, when we sit down in, in a room and, and counsel with folks and they begin to share their heart and their story with you, I, I think to myself, I could never hear something more horrific than what this person is telling me they've gone through in their life. And then an hour later, somebody else walks in and tells me something worse. And I think to myself, the amount of damage, the amount of, of things that are done to people to, to set them back, to, to, try to, to try to strip God's purpose for them out of their life is overwhelming. It's almost impossible to fathom how one person could do something like this to another human being. But the truth is, you don't have to stay that way. It's not your fault that you're in that position, but you don't have to stay that way. You can walk out of being a victim and overcome it once and for all in your life. And I'm going to teach you how to do it. Let's look at the life of David for a moment. Turn to Psalms 18. I hope you're quiet tonight because you're thinking about this. Not because you're like, oh, here we go. Psalms 18, we're going to start in verse 1. David is a victim in this, in this case. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise. I've been saved from my enemies, but the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. David is describing and declaring a time in his life where he was the victim. He's identifying with a period in his life where he was a victim. It says, the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In other words, he's saying, I am, was in a heap of trouble. I was in a real mess. I was in a deep, dark place in my life. And what I've noticed when we start to talk about uh, victims and 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 a victim kind of mentality, and then folks that never walk out of that, and then begin to respond in their lives to everything through the through the glass of being a victim. What I've realized is that a lot of people quickly assume the identity of a victim when something's been done wrong to them. We, as, as a matter of fact, especially I've seen this in the church, we assume the identity of a victim way before we ever assume the identity of Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. We talk about, you know, uh, allowing the identity of Christ to define who we are. And some of us, we, we spend a whole lifetime trying to allow ourselves to, to receive the identity of Christ in our life. 
But buddy, let me tell you something. something do, somebody does something to you, and we are so quick to allow that label, that identity to become a part of who we are. Some of us grab a hold of it so fast. The person isn't even f- finished stealing from you or talking about you or messing you over in one way or another. They're not even finished. They're not even completed with making you a victim. And we've already assumed the identity of the victim. I'm getting a lot of blank stares, which I hope means you're right, Pastor Dan. I don't even see anyone going like this, like not even a small one, like. Now, I'm just going to lay this out there for you. As opposed to the other times. But if we walk around this world, you're going to find out that everybody you encounter has been victimized in one way or another. And they are so quick to not only assume that identity, but to tell you all about it. I was at a friend's house on Monday for Canadian Thanksgiving, a couple that goes to this church. They're Canadian. They wanted to have Canadian Thanksgiving. I was like turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes, et cetera. I'm there. Not Canadian, but I will be for one night, all right? So I went over there for Canadian Thanksgiving. They were telling me about the neighbor across the street. And she gets people to do things for her because she tells them what a victim she is. And so she's begun to learn to use this to her advantage, right? And this is not stuff that happened to her like yesterday. This is stuff that happened 20 years ago. She's still using it to manipulate people to do anything. So, so this couple's son is an electrician. And so she had some electrical problems. So he went over there and she said, can you give me the friends and discount rate or the friends and family discount? And the boy's like, well, I, I don't know. She's like, well, did I, have I ever told you that, you know, my husband left me? I got cancer. I beat it. My son is lazy and does nothing. I can't get him to get a job, won't leave the house. My sister, she didn't talk to me anymore. Can't imagine why. And, and I, I can't even remember them all. I should have wrote them down. But they told me, like, there's nine things that she just spits out like this. Because what she's saying is, I'm a victim, 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 I'm a victim. Help me. I feel helpless, I need help, and I'm a victim. And I've become so comfortable in this identity as a victim, I'm so comfortable here because people feel bad for me and people do things for me, but I'm miserable inside, and I just don't know what to do. I'm a victim, and this is my identity, and this is who I am. So David says, listen, I, I'm, I, I was in a mess here. I was a real victim I had the cords of death entangled around me. I, I was a real victim. But David didn't leave it there. That's the important thing. David did not just take on the identity of a victim after he was victimized in this particular case. He didn't just receive that identity and then go, okay, I'm going to live this way the rest of my life. But if you, if you continue on in verse 6, he says, in my distress, in my in my period of victimization, in the, in the place of darkness in my life, He says, I called to the Lord and I cried to my God for help. I called to the Lord and I cried to my God for help. He says, I I, I admitted that I I was in distress. I, I admitted that I was weak. I admitted that I was in a place of great weakness in my life. And I 
called to the Lord and I cried to God for help. And for, to my God for help. Now I want to point this out to you for a moment. David's, the, the key that David has here, you, you think, well, it's, it's the fact that he called on the Lord. That's part of it. That's part of it. That's an obvious part. But the real key to this is the fact that David was willing to admit that he was in distress. It was David's weakness here. It was his vulnerability of weakness that positioned him to really cry out to God. Now, what does that mean for you and I today? 2015. It is in your weakness, not your own ability to, to, to just grin and bear it and barrel your way out of that, that victimization, that pain, that suffering in your life. It's in your admittance of weakness that God can become strong in your life. Now, I want to read this, this scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 12 says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, or most of your translations say my strength, is made perfect in your weakness. That makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense to our minds. So I just tell you I'm weak and you just are made, your strength is made perfect. How does that work? How about I be strong, you be strong, we just all just join together, you do whatever you need to do, I do whatever I need to do, and we'll just hope, hopefully it works out. Because that's how we usually do it. It's not like we like kick God out the door and we're like, hey, you, you, I don't need your help. We're just like, okay, God, I just want to, you know, you need to help me out of my mess. I really feel down. I'm depressed. You know, some people have done some terrible things to me. And I just, you know, I need your help and I want to get out of this. And then we just, we step from that. I know you're shaking your head because you've heard this before. We step from that position of, Lord, I need your help into, what am I going to do to get myself through this in my own strength? It is a total dependency on God that got David out of his mess. It's a total willingness to admit that I am weak that moved him from a position of suffering, of being a victim, of having the snares of death wrapped around his neck. It, it literally shifted his position from being the victim to beginning to go on the road of victory in his life. My question to you tonight is, are you willing to be vulnerable enough with God to say, I am weak, I am in distress, and I can't do this on my own, in my own strength. I need your power, I need your strength to be made perfect in my weakness. See, it's the opposite of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It's your total reliance and dependency on God. Let me keep reading this. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And I'm going to add one more. And when folks make me a victim, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So I confess my weakness so that I, can, so that I will possess his strength. I'm vulnerable with the position that I'm in in my life so that I can possess his strength. Now, I know Dr. Julie here, I'm not going to uh, blow you up here for a moment, but I, I know she does a ton of counseling with folks that have been through stuff. 
And I bet you if you sat down with Dr. Julian and say, what's the number one thing that prevents folks from walking out of that place, that, that victim's curse that so many of us live under? And she'd probably tell you it's an unwillingness for people to be honest with where they're at and what they've actually are, are dealing with and going through. It's, it's trying to strip folks down to being willing to admit the weakness in their life and to get them to stop thinking about how they're going to crawl themselves out of the hole. I'm not going to look at Dr. Julie because if it's not tr true, I don't want to know that. <laughs> Just nod your head one way or another. <laughs> she says yes. It's because we don't, we're, we're taught, we're brought up, it's, it's in our DNA, it's in the strands of our, our muscle fabric or whatever it is. We are designed to never admit that we're weak. Weakness is a sign of failure. That's what we're taught as children. If you're weak, if you're vulnerable, if you admit that you can't do something, you're a loser. Or as Donald Trump says, a loser. <laughs> I heard he was tweeting last night during the Democrat debate. So I went back and looked at his tweets, and what's weird is I was actually reading the tweets with his accent in my mind. <laughs> so he's like, these, these candidates are losers. Is this the best the Democratic Party has? A bunch of losers. CNN's loser. Anderson Cooper's a loser. Hey, whatever. But we're taught that if you're weak, you're a loser. We're taught that if you're weak, you're a failure. We're taught that if you're vulnerable, something's wrong with you. But the reality is the only way to walk out of being a victim in our life, the only way for his strength to be made perfect is for us to admit that we're weak. Now, I don't expect you to run around the church when I say it's time for everyone to admit they're weak. <laughs> Are you excited about that? Oh. I realize that, but I want you to get it because this will change your life. We're going to continue on. After that confession, after that confession that I'm weak, David does something here. If you keep reading in verse 6, he doesn't just say, in my distress I called to the Lord, I cried to my God for help. He says this, For his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundation of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. So go back to verse 6 for a moment. My distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David was persistent with his, with his cry. David was persistent that wherever God was, he's going to hear me. I'm going to tell him, I am weak. I need you. I'm in distress, and I need you. This is, this, David's lifestyle during this period in his life was a lifestyle of constant intercession to the Father. It was like the pesky child that never says, when are we, are we, are we almost there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? David was like, hey, I'm in distress, and I, 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 I need you, God. I, I, I cry out to you. I, this is, crying out to God is not like, hey, I need you, and then. It's like a constant position of reliance on God. And I actually wrote this down here. You know, pursuit of God is the greatest indicator of dependency. So think about that for a moment. Your willingness to pursue something will, will, is a great indicator to all of us of whether or not you're dependent on it. 
Let me point this out to you for a moment. If you have one check that gets mailed to you every month by sweet Aunt Jane, who has a lot of money and loves her sweet little nephew or niece, and sweet Aunt Jane sends you a check for $500 every month that pays half of your rent, and without that $500, you don't pay your rent. You need that $500. Let me ask you something. If sweet Aunt Jane sends you that check, and it takes three days to get here, and she sends it to you on the first, and on the fourth or fifth, that check is not there, what do you do? You're going to act like you love Aunt, sweet Aunt Jane for just a moment. You're going to call her on the phone and say, sweet Aunt Jane, I love you so much. Uh, did you read that check? <laughs> Not because I, that's the only reason I'm calling you, but I just want to make sure it didn't get lost in the mail. You know, I'm just concerned about you. Did you write that check? And if sweet Aunt Jane doesn't pick up that phone, or if sweet Aunt Jane says, I sent it in the mail, here's the tracking number. You're going to blow USPS's phone number up. You're going to be calling them on a... Hey, hey, I got the tracking number. It says it's in Sarasota and it's out for delivery. My check. It's been out for delivery for four days. See, your dependency on something, is all, there's always an indicator to your dependency and it's your willingness to pursue it. We pursue what we're dependent on. If we're not pursuing God, we're really not dependent on him. If we pursue God sometimes, then we're kind of dependent on him, but we're still depending on ourselves. Do you hear me tonight? I want to continue on with this. Um, I love what Psalms 42 says. I didn't give you this case, so don't worry about it. But it says, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs for you. There's a position of pursuit that David was in. He didn't just admit I'm a victim, but he was willing to, to, to show his weakness and pursue God. This is the formula for some of you here tonight to walk out of something that has held you back for years. Some of you tonight have vices and things in your life that you're trying to get rid of, you're trying to kick, you're trying to get help for, that if you would absorb this and put this into practice in your life, you would walk straight out of what has held you back for so many years. This is the greatest prescription that you can ever have. An understanding that, hey, I'm a victim, but I am weak. His strength is made perfect in my weakness, and I'm going to pursue him till he hears my cry and his strength rescues me out of my situation. I want, to write this, I want to read this to you. This is how in pursuit David was. If you, if you keep reading down in the chapter, verse 17, he says, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I want you to see in these verses I'm reading how central the topic of God is in this. You're like, yeah, it's the Bible. It's supposed to be. No, no, no. I want you to see how many times he says the word he. He did this. He did this. He did this. He didn't say me and God, we did it together. He's like, and he did this. And then he did this. And then he came and did this. And God did this. Listen, this is crazy. Listen to this. He brought, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. He delighted in me. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. 
Verse 32, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. Verse 35, you make your saving help my shield. Your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. He gives 100% credit to the God that he pursued, the God that he admitted, I'm weak and your, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. The God that he relied on to get him out of this situation, he, he's, he's recounting, he's telling again what happened. He said, I was ensnared. I was facing the snares of death. And he ends the chapter with this, or doesn't end it, but here towards the end, he says, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I didn't turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so they could not rise. In other words, I overcame what had held me back for so many years. I crushed them so bad, I overcame that they could never come back to rise again in my life. Now, I'm just going to get real for a moment. Real, real for Some of us here tonight have so struggled with things in our life and it's been a little bit step forward and a little step back and a little step forward and I'm really trying hard and I'm doing it for me, Ma, and then I take a step back and then someone's like, you can't do it for me, Ma, you gotta do it for yourself. And then I say, I'm gonna do it for myself. So I take four steps forward because I'm doing it for myself and I got high self-esteem now and then I get knocked back a couple steps and then I take it up. And it's like, you look drunk, first of all. And it's a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. And God, please, just let me take one step forward. And then, and then I can, okay, I got it now. And then, boom, I get knocked back. And then, oh, please, God, I'm sorry. And then it's just this wrestling match. It's just wrestling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I believe it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to so overtake the enemies in our life, to so crush the things that have held us back in our life that they can never, ever rise again. I'm talking about, you ever seen like somebody that really hates roaches? And when they kill that roach, it's not just like, just a normal like, okay, it's dead, smash, that's it. It's like they got the the can of whatever and they get the Windex out and they got the the poison spray and they're smashing it. And then they take like a newspaper and hit it a couple times and then they flush it down the toilet. They drown the thing after they've killed it three different ways. Like, that that is what God wants to do to whatever has held you back in your life. Like, overboard. Like, like God, uh, you went overboard here. Uh, I have so stepped out of this place of victimization in my life that I can't even remember what it was like to think that way. That's how much God wants to bring you out of it. You are, you've armed me with strength for battle and you have humbled my adversaries before me. You've taken the adversaries that have risen up against me and you've made them bow their face before me. This is what it looks like. Hey, if you, if you feel like, you know, I've, I've stepped out of this place of victimization, but you haven't seen this type of victory in your life, I'm telling you there's more. 
God does not want you with three feet over, two feet to this side and three feet to this side. He doesn't want you with one foot over here and one foot over here. He doesn't want you just barely hanging on to your, your sobriety. He doesn't want you just to barely hang on to your marriage. He doesn't want you just to barely hang on to your children and their salvation. He wants you to overcome and, be, and allow the adversaries that have come up against you to never rise up again. I want to I, I close with this. John Maxwell said this. He said, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. I got something to tell you tonight, and I'm fired up, but, but I want to get you out of here. I'm so fired up about this statement because I'm telling you something. Change is inevitable in our lives, and sometimes the change is not what we want, but it is inevitable. You cannot stop life. Some of us have tried to stop life. You can't do it. Life is coming. Change is coming. Good things are coming. Bad things are coming. Even when you're saved and God's on your side, we still experience bad things. Still go through difficult times. Change is coming, but growth is optional. The only way to grow is to decide, I'm not going to allow this to make me a victim. I'm going to grow past victimization into victory in my life. And the quote that inspired this message tonight, I want to leave you with this. She said this. So there's a time when you need to make what Jesus did for you bigger than what someone else did to you. I'm going to say that again. For those of you that clapped like you were watching Tiger Woods hit a golf ball. There comes a time... When you need to make bigger in your life what Jesus did for you than when someone else did to you. There you go. That was more of a that was more of a Kobe Bryant clap, okay? In other words, what Jesus has done for you on behalf of you because he's inspired and moved by his compassion and his love and his affection for you is so much bigger and so much greater than anything anyone can do to you. The plan of God for your life is so powerful, has so much strength and power behind it that it cannot be stopped by what somebody did to you unless you decide to stay a victim. And the reason I title this shaking off the victim's curse, because we've got to shake ourselves from being the victim. Now, I'm not just preaching this to those of you that are in a program, and I'm not just preaching this if you're a man or you're a woman. I'm preaching this to all of us because I've got folks that are on our staff right now. Now, all of them are going, is he talking to me? No. Of course I'm not talking to you. I've got folks on our staff right now who have allowed the victim mentality to hold them back from being all that God can make them be. I've got close friends that have been held back by this victim's curse. It's a curse we allow to identify us that have been held back from what God has for them. And I want to see us as the body of Christ finally walk out of victimization into seeing the Lord conquer all that has held us back in our life. And I'm going to repeat this to you. It takes these three things. It takes the willingness to admit that you are weak, to know that he is strong in your weakness, that his strength and power is made perfect in your weakness. And the third thing is this. It's real simple. It is pursuing God.
The word pursuit, which is an indicator of dependency, the word pursuit actually means to run after something with the intent of overtaking it. Now, I want to show you what that looks like. Do we have any kids here that didn't go to Sunday school? It's okay. We love you. Come up here, honey. Come on. We're going to play a game. Me and you. Come on. I'm not going to embarrass you. Come up here. Come on, come on, come on. We're just going to act like you're my niece and I'm your uncle, okay? So tell us your name. Sarah. Sarah, you're beautiful. Don't you think Sarah's beautiful? Give Sarah a hand. All right, Sarah, come on. We're going to play. We're going to play. Uh, I don't know. What, what is this? Um, cops and robbers. Um, what else did we play when we were kids? I'm going to chase you, okay? And you're going you're gonna to tag. You're not going to let me catch you, okay? Now, if you've ever played tag with your kids, oftentimes you don't want to catch them. You just want to chase them. Has anyone ever done that before? And so we're going to do that. I'm going to chase you, but I'm not going to catch you, not because I'm fat, but because I'm <laughs> trying to be nice, okay? Don't run too fast or it won't look right, okay? You ready for this, Sarah? Run. The crazy man's coming. You ready? Run. Go. All right. Oh, you're giving it to me. I'm coming to get you. Uncle Dan's coming to get you. <laughs> Uncle Dan's a little creepy. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, almost. Whoa. Wow. I almost got you. Okay. You get, give me five. This is not. You can go back to mom. Thanks. Give Sarah a hand. That's not pursuit. That's called a game. Some of us pursue God that way. We chase him because we're told it's fun. But we really don't chase God to actually overtake him. It's time that we pursue God. We run after him with the intent of overtaking him. With the intent of actually catching him. You get the difference? It's a different, different mentality in our heads. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. The process of becoming a victim is never your fault, but the process of staying a victim is. And the last thing is this. The pro, the, uh, there comes a time in your life when you need to make G what Jesus did for you bigger than what someone else did to you. We can leave here fired up with a realization of what we need to know to walk out this door and to never be, never identify as a victim again in our life. Doesn't mean that somebody's not going to do something to us. Doesn't mean that someone's not going to get us mad. Doesn't mean that someone's not, gonna, not going to try, to try to come against us. But we allow ourselves to not identify as a victim anymore because we allow Jesus to rescue us. We allow Jesus to rely on his strength, to admit our weakness, and to pursue him in our lives. Father, we thank you. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord, for, for such clear instruction from the word of God in David's life of what it looks like with your pattern, with your prescription for the victim's curse that so many of us have labored under in our lives. Tonight, we determine in our hearts to leave this building no longer victims. God, no longer uh, people that are held back, but victorious. 
God, we want to leave here that we would overtake and see our adversaries so crushed to the ground that they would never rise up against us again. And so, Lord, we leave this building tonight with a hope, knowing that you don't just, Father, you don't just love us like crazy, but God, you want to see us overcome and overtake anything in our life that would stop us from fulfilling the calling that you've placed on each and every one of our lives. Lord, we exalt what you've done for us over anything that anyone else has done to us. And Lord, we no longer identify or see ourselves as the victim. But God, we walk out of here, we leave this building tonight knowing that we have overcome. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning, 9, nine o'clock and 10.30. See you then.